Amen. Well, a few announcements before we get into God's Word. First of all, make sure you are on our weekly email list that I send out so you get our weekly update. If you read the weekly update, then you'll know that we are rebranding and renaming the church, and we want to hear from you on some ideas for a new name and a new brand. So if you have ideas, you can email them in, but you've got to be on the newsletter list so that you know where to email them. Anyone can submit a name. But here's the thing. I don't want you to submit a name and be like, I like this name. All right, we don't care if you like it. Like, we're not going to pick a name because Al liked it. You know, we went with the name that Al liked. We're going to go with the name that best fits our vision and our values. So ask yourself, what name do you think best fits our vision and our values? And then by all means, put it on the list. And then we'll work over the next several months uh, to pick a name and to rebrand the church. Second, I announced last week that we are going to have a facility update, a phase two update, after both services this week and next week. So Please pick either this week or next week to stay for 15 minutes and to hear an update on phase two. And we've got a updated brochure that'll give you uh, pictures and numbers and details. So if you're already participating, you'll want to know how it's going. And if you are a regular attender here or a member, and maybe you came along after we launched the building campaign, I want you to know how we're improving the church, how that's going to benefit you, and then how you can also become a partner in helping us to make this happen. So please, we're going to adjust the service too, so that even though there's a 15-minute meeting, uh, 15 meeting at the end, it's not going to go over by 15 minutes. It's just going to go over a little bit. So either stay today or stay next week so that you can be informed on the project. Well, go ahead and open your Bibles up to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We're going through the book of Romans. The Apostle Paul is writing the book of Romans. The sermon today is called No Condemnation. The series is called Romans Nail It Down. Now, back when I was in preacher school, Moody Bible Institute, they taught me that I should be able to tell you what the whole sermon is about in one sentence. So... Here's the one-sentence summary of the sermon today. You ready? Based on what Christ has accomplished, God wants you to live with security and to walk in victory. I'll say it again. Based on what Christ has accomplished, God wants you to live with security and to walk with victory. Today we learn how we can live with security and walk with victory because of what Jesus did for us. Uh, as we begin here, we're going to go to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessing upon the sermon, and I'm going to read a prayer from the Valley of Vision, which is a collection of Puritan prayers that is such a tremendous blessing. So let's bow our hearts, close our eyes, and let me pray for us as we get started here. How great are my privileges in Christ Jesus. Without him, I stand far off, a stranger, an outcast. In him, I draw near and touch his kingly scepter. Without him, I dare not lift up my guilty eyes. In him, I gaze upon my Father God and friend. Without him, I hide my lips in trembling shame. In him, I open my mouth in petition and praise. Without him, all is wrath and consuming fire. In him is all love and the repose of my soul. Without him is gaping hell below me and eternal anguish. In him... Its gates are barred to me by his precious blood. Without him, darkness spreads its horrors in front. In him, an eternity of glory is my boundless horizon. Without him, all within me is terror and dismay. In him, every accusation is charmed into joy and peace. Without him, all things external call for my condemnation. 
In him they minister to my comfort and are to be enjoyed with thanksgiving. Praise be to thee for grace and for the unspeakable gift of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Amen. Here we are in Romans chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is sharing such great theology. And what he'll do is he'll spend several chapters developing it. Then he'll take a chapter to summarize it. He did that in Romans 5. He's doing that again here in Romans 8. So we get a summary of where we've been and a peek at where we're going. Here we are in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So you can see he's arriving somewhere here. Therefore, therefore, he's summarizing what he's already said. Number one in your bullets, and you can jot this down, the first point is, so now. He's basically saying, so now, here's a new reality. So now, but he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, here's the thing. Before we talk about the blessings he mentions in this passage, we have to ask ourselves, are we even included in this passage? It's for those who are in Christ Jesus. So ask yourself this, first thing. Are you in Christ Jesus? Are you a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you saved? Hey, if I were to ask the four people who know you best, hey, is Jesus the most important person to him? Without hesitation, would they say yes? Or would they be like, oh, uh, what would your kids say? If I was like, is Jesus the most important person to them? Would they be like, meh, um, eh. This is where the Bible lays out a yes or no question. Are you saved or are you not saved? Are you in Christ or are you not? There's no halfway. I told you this story before about how Lauren and I went out on a date night before, and the restaurant we went to got everything wrong. They, like, brought out the wrong food. It was cooked wrong. The silverware was dirty. We ordered dessert. They didn't bring the dessert out. And then they gave us a bill with the dessert on it. They got everything wrong. So I went up to the owner of this restaurant with the check. And I'm like, you guys got everything wrong. Start to finish. It was a horrible experience. And I said this in front of other guests who were waiting to be seated for effect. And so he had a look on his face like, I'm in big trouble. And I said, would you agree that I shouldn't pay this check? And he's like, yeah. And I was like, are you a Christian? And he goes like this. <laughs> what is that? What, what is this? And I was like, well, I'm a Christian. And I want you to learn a word today. And that word is grace. I'm going to give you something you don't deserve. I'm going to pay this check. And I'm going to put a sweet tip on there. But I want you to say it. I don't deserve this. And then he said it. And I was like, good. Now you know how to get to heaven. The only way you're going to get to heaven is if God pays for your penalty. And you get to go and you didn't deserve it. Right? Witnessing opportunity. I hope when you stand before God and they say, who do you say Jesus is? Are you a Christian? Your plan is not to be like, kind of? Are you in or are you out? Is Jesus Lord and Savior or no? Where are you? So now, in Christ, and here comes some fantastic promises. Jot this down. There is no condemnation. It says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. He has set you free. Now the definition of the word condemnation here ties to the penalty attached to breaking the law. So you're condemned, which means you broke God's law, and therefore a penalty is attached to that. 
And so the penalty has to be enforced or God is not just. What kind of a judge would God be if he was just like letting everybody off the hook? I mean, if there was an earthly judge who did that, you know what? I'm in a great mood today. Everyone's going free. You know, what'd you do? Uh, ran over my boss, free to go. What'd you do? Stole $100,000, free to go. What'd you do? Like, that'd be a bad judge. We would punish that judge because he's not giving just sentences. Well, God is a just God, and therefore there is condemnation for sin. He leaves no guilt unpunished. We learned last week and the week before that you and I have tremendous legal problems in heaven. Huge legal problems that no earthly... Oh, I got a good attorney. He's not getting you out of your legal trouble in heaven. He's not. Huge legal trouble in heaven, and only Jesus can get us out of it. But the promise is, in Christ, we can appear before God without guilt or fear or shame. Hallelujah. I don't know about you, but I have a lot in life to be ashamed about. A lot of guilt, a lot of shame because of a lot of sin. And it started young. So, so childhood Ryan, here's a picture of childhood Ryan. You want to see me when I was a kid? There I am. It's kind of an Eddie Haskell, you know, ham of a kid. And you might be like, oh, that cute little urchin wouldn't do anything. Oh, I got in trouble. All right, just one of the things I did is my, I, my friend and I, we started a prairie on fire down the street. Just started a fire for fun. And then my dad had to run down there and put it out. I was a pyro. All right, that started young. And then here's a picture of high school Ryan. There I am right in the middle with the red shirt. High school Ryan in Stag, Amos Alonzo Stag High School Band. We caused all sorts of trouble in the band room. But one of the things I would do is I would steal stuff from school. I stole all sorts of stuff from school. I was a thief. I stole stuff from where I worked. So, so I got away with it, so I kept doing it. And then I took this banner from Stag High School that apparently was important to the school. And then, and then on my senior breakfast, so like 495 students were all having breakfast together. It was one of our last days as seniors. The wrestling coach got up and started shouting at everyone. You know wrestling coaches? I want to know who did it. I want to know who took it. I want to know who stole it. I want to be a man and come up here right now and admit it. And I was like... He's going to kill me. He's going to rip me to shreds. But he couldn't figure out who did it, so I just sat there like, he doesn't know. And it's even worse when you get away with stuff because then you keep doing worse things and taking greater risks and you don't get caught. And then college, Ryan, so then I went down a bad path. There's me growing out my hair and my girlfriend, Lauren. Isn't she cute? So there we were. She wanted to date the bad boy. Boy, did God have a surprise for her. <laughs> Pastor's wife. But there it was. And I mean, this, like, college Ryan was like drug using Ryan, more theft Ryan. I mean, taking huger risks that have life altering consequences. Then I got saved. Then I got saved. But when I got saved, man, when I look to my past, I'm just sharing some funny things with you now from my past that I can tell you about. All right, there are unspeakable things that I cannot tell you about. The guilt and the shame and the fear from my past. Listen, I'm not a little league sinner, all right? Major league. And if you're honest, you're not a little league sinner either, all right? Your sins aren't t-ball. You're not going to appear before God and be like, yeah, I just have a few little oopses and boo-boos that we need to talk through before you let me into paradise. Not the case. I guarantee you, if I had a book up here that had a full record of your sin, everything you've ever said about everyone in your, in your life, and everything you've thought, and everything you've did, and if I opened that book up, you would spear tackle me to make sure nobody got access to that. 
You would be horrified if that was on WikiLeaks tomorrow morning. Your life would be ruined. And so would mine. And it's because there's condemnation attached to the full truth and record of our sin. So what do we do with that? What we do with that is either we deceive ourselves and we're like, well, actually, I'm, I'm okay. I'm not that bad. Or we fess up and we're like, I've got huge legal problems in heaven and I need God to get me out of it. And in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation because we have been set free. What a truth. Now, I'm going to preach this passage kind of with the bookends, like the first part and then the last part, and then I'm going to fill in the blanks. How is it that we can have no condemnation? Well, look at verse 11. It says in verse 11, If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So it says Jesus was raised from the dead. Write this down. There is no condemnation because Jesus died and rose again. Because Jesus died and rose again. What is it that makes our faith special? What is it that makes Christianity different from all other religions? Have you heard it said before that all religions basically teach the same thing? How many of you have heard that before? All religions basically teach the same thing. False. Christianity teaches something that no other religion teaches. It teaches that the Lord Jesus Christ stepped down from heaven to earth, and he died on the cross, and he paid the full penalty for your sin and mine, and then he rose again in victory, securing your release from the penalty of your sin. No other religion teaches that. Every other religion is you doing it, you climbing the ladder to heaven. In Christianity, we believe that he did it. He did it, and we can't. That's what makes us a grace-based faith. Jesus died and rose again. Um, other faiths fail to deliver what Jesus Christ achieved on the cross. He is one of a kind, and he did something that no one else can do for you. The Jehovah's Witnesses came to my door again yesterday. Even though I told them to put me on the list where they don't stop because they were talking to my kids when I wasn't home, so they keep coming, though. So I went outside. I was like, all right, I'm on the list, but you guys are here, so I'll talk to you. So anyway, they believe that Jesus is the Archangel Michael. They don't come right out and say that. But they don't believe Jesus is the sinless son of God who died to save the world. They don't believe that. They say they believe that, but they don't. So I started asking them questions. Well, who do you think Jesus is? Oh, he's the Lord. Okay, but don't you think he's the archangel Michael? Well, yes, he has many names. Okay, an archangel can't die in place of sinful humans. So you have demoted Jesus from son of God and savior to just another angel, a created being. I said, you don't have any basis to do that. Then I have them open their Bibles. They've got Bible. They're changing a little. They've got a Bible, and I had them open it to Revelation 5. And I had them read it, and it says in Revelation 5, in the throne room of heaven right now, all creatures in heaven and on earth and under the earth are worshiping him who sits on the throne, it's God the Father, and the Lamb, that's Jesus. I said, how could Jesus be receiving worship in heaven? I said, when John the apostle tried to worship an angel, the angel was like, get up, you're going to get me in trouble. Jesus is receiving praise from every living being in heaven right now. And I said, Anne, what is he receiving? All glory and honor and blessing and power and wisdom and strength. Everything that can be given from everyone who can give it for how long? Forever and ever. I said, so my question for you is, why is everyone in your book worshiping Christ but you? And they never have an answer. See, they're trying to take away the uniqueness of Christ. Have you gotten to the point where you realize that Jesus died and rose again 
and he alone can save you. He's one of a kind. If so, then there is no condemnation because Jesus died and rose again. This is the gospel. Jot this down. And because God's spirit dwells within me. Now, once you get saved, glorious truth, look at verse 9. It says, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. We'll explain what in the flesh means in a moment. You are in the spirit, if in fact the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the spirit is life because of righteousness. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So because God's spirit dwells within me, I can enjoy no condemnation. This is a marvelous truth of the mystery of the indwelling of God's spirit. Listen, this is mind-blowing, but if you're in Christ, God's spirit is in you. You are a temple of the holy God. God in me. Wow. You can't even fathom what that means. I love seeing pictures online of like x-rays taken when people have things inside of them that don't belong inside of them. Have you ever seen those? Check this out. Here's a picture of something that doesn't belong inside a human. That's a key. Some guy was drunk at a frat party and didn't want to go home. So he swallowed his key and told his buddies now he has to stay all night long. Great life decision. And now your x-ray picture has gone viral. <laughs> Here's the next one. This kid swallowed a SpongeBob necklace. <laughs> Yikes. Mommy, I don't feel good. Well, let's go figure out why. What did you do? Here's the next one. Humans aren't the only problem. This is a, an x-ray of a dog who swallowed an entire rubber duck. See, what happened was there were several dogs playing with the rubber duck, but one dog wanted it all to himself, so he swallowed it. <laughs> and then the rest of the dogs couldn't get it. And here, here's the next picture. This is like my nightmare. In, in the middle right there, that's a dental drill bit. So at the dentist, oops, the dentist dropped the drill. That's like my nightmare. Whenever a dentist says, oops, you know you're going to have a really bad day. So dad, to get that out of there somehow. Those are pictures of things that don't belong in humans. And hey, let me tell you this. The Holy Spirit doesn't belong in humans. But, but when you're a Christian, God himself takes up residence in you. It'd be actually really funny if when you got x-rays and you were a Christian, it showed. Like we could actually scan you and there's a picture of like a dove in you, you know, like the Holy Spirit. And then the nurse technician is like, Doc, he swallowed a bird. Get over here, quick. No, 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 no. That's the Holy Spirit. I'm a Christian. That would actually be really helpful to figure out who's really saved. You can just go in for a scan. Now, it's not that easy because this is a spiritual reality. But listen, God in you. God in you. A few weeks ago, I joked that, my goodness, if the first Christian who got saved and whose Holy Spirit came inside of him, you know, like if that reality was truly manifested for all that it is, that Christian would have gone supernova and consumed the universe in fiery power. What does it mean to have all the energy and power and wisdom and love of God in us? It staggers the imagination. This isn't just supposed to be some theological puzzle, though, to ponder. It's meant to give us comfort. It's meant to give us hope and joy. Because God, how does he feel about me? He's in me. Wow. You see the Trinity in these verses. It says... It says in verse 9, the Spirit of God, 
dwells in you. And then in verse 9, the spirit of Christ. And then in verse 10, but if Christ is in you, see that? So the spirit of God, the Father, the spirit of Christ, the Son, Christ is in you. So you see we believe in one God in three persons. This is not one God wearing three masks. These are three distinct persons. But the fullness of the eternal God, united in love, is in you, in the Spirit. Wow, God in me. The Bible says Christ in you is the hope of glory. It gives you confidence that God has accepted you fully and forever. There is no condemnation because Jesus died and rose again and because the Spirit dwells within me. It says in verse 2, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of the Spirit, what does that mean? Well, some scholars say that just means the Spirit. The Spirit is in you, so it's the Spirit. Others say, well, that means it's, the law means the power and the authority of the Spirit. That fits too. Other people look to like Romans um, 3.27, which talks about the law of faith. And they say, you know, really the Spirit being in you and you being under the law of Spirit means like you're under the law of faith, meaning the gospel is now the truth that you are bound to. Those are all good interpretations. The point is this. You are now living with the Spirit in you. And that gives you hope. I like what one scholar said. He said, it is God's Spirit coming to the believer with power and authority, bringing liberation from the power of the old era from the condemnation that is the lot of all who are imprisoned by those powers. Hey, is this true of you? Do you have no condemnation because you believe Jesus died and rose again because God's Spirit is in you? That's what he's beginning to say. So now. But then he looks back to what was. So jot this down. Number two, once I was. Well, here's what's now, but here's what was. And if you want to move forward with God, you have to be honest about your starting point. You've got to get the go square right or you're not getting around the board with God. And where do I start? Where do I start with God? Well, it says there is therefore now no condemnation, which means there was condemnation. Jot this down. Once I was condemned. Once I was condemned. How bad is my starting condition? Where do I start with God? Well, there's many different images for that, but the word condemned, penalty, is, is there. I don't know if you listen to country music. Sometimes I do. Country music has some great songs. And, and whenever a country artist sings about his girl, you know exactly where they stand. Either it's like he's head over heels in love with her, or she's broken his heart and he's going to let her have it. Country revenge songs are the best, right? <laughs> Carrie Underwood. Or, like They've got some really good revenge songs. And uh, there's one country song. I just heard the title of it and I had to laugh. Phil Preston is the artist, and he wrote a song about a girl in his life, and Phil Preston's song title is this, From the Gutter to You, Ain't Up. <laughs> From the Gutter to You, Ain't Up. <laughs> don't you just want to hear it? <laughs> now, I don't mean to hurt your feelings. Actually, I do mean to hurt your feelings. When the Bible describes how God sees you, from the gutter to you, ain't up. Right? You are condemned. I don't know how you think God sees you when he looks at you, but you're not like this furry little critter who he's always loved from birth. You're not like this, you know, care bear who does nothing but shoot rainbows from his belly all day long. You're not cute, okay? 
from the gutter to you ain't up. And God says that not to make you lose heart, but to tell you your starting point. Once I was condemned. Romans 3.23 says this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All. That's you. That's me. We've fallen short of the glory of God. In verse 2 it says this, For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death there means the power and the authority in the realm of sin and death. You're bound up, but Christ sets us free. So jot this down. Once I was enslaved. If I need to be set free, that means I'm incarcerated. That means I'm in shackles. And Jesus alone can free me. Check out this picture of inmates. This is one way God tells you your starting point with him. That's you. I'm incarcerated. What this means is internally you can't break free from sin. It has you. You can't free yourself. You are ba- and it does, the Bible makes no distinction. Whether you were raised in the church or out of the church, this is true. If the Bible says if you have the law, then you know better and you sin. If you're raised outside of the church, you sin not knowing, but you're still guilty. Either way, I was enslaved. Romans 6.17 says this, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. Wow. And then jot this down, and the law made things worse. I was condemned, enslaved, and the law made things worse. Look at verse 3. In verse 3 it says, For God has done what the law, now that's the law of Moses, weakened by the flesh, could not do. He spent a few weeks here learning about how as a, as a Jewish man, Paul tried but couldn't keep the law of Moses. Ten commandments, I'm going to keep them all, couldn't do it. And so the immediate interpretation here is that there were some Jews in the audience who received this book who were still going for it through Moses and they were unsaved and Paul is like you could never keep it but there were also some Christians who were still trying to like earn God's favor by behaving according to the law no that's not going to work either so for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do what's the flesh the flesh describes Um, most specifically just your body, the flesh. It it stands for the human part of you that is attracted to sin. It stands for the longings you have, mind, body, and and heart, emotionally, to sin. Sin is appetizing. Sin sin overpromises. So you're lured by it because your flesh craves the security and the pleasure sin promises. That's the flesh. But he expands the understanding here where the flesh also describes you being under the authority of sin's power. So being in the flesh is being in the realm where sin is in control. So there's a bondage, there's an addiction, there's an enslavement. And, And so being in the flesh means being unsaved. It can also, however, be used to a Christian trying to behave their way forward. So you're You'll often hear people say, well, you're doing it in the flesh instead of in the spirit. So the law makes things worse when you're trying to behave your way into God's favor. And that's true when you're saved or when you're unsaved. Hey, listen, if you're not settled on who Jesus is, if you're not a Christian and you're still making up your mind, listen, you're living in the flesh. You're 
you're behaving and then sinning and then maybe saying sorry, sin, repent, repeat, sin, repent, repeat. The cycle of defeat will never end because you're trying to like do your best to follow some rules and that's never going to get you favor with God. If you feel worn out, if you feel like your best efforts have failed, it's because that's not the way to heaven. I like what Abdu Murray says, a speaker with RZIM. He said, the biggest religion in the world today is good personism. Good personism. And maybe functionally, if God were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? Maybe your answer would be, well, I'm a pretty good person. You're following good personism. Here's the thing. Good people don't go to heaven. Saved people go to heaven. You can't be good enough to get into heaven. And Paul knew what it was like to do my best, do my best, and it wasn't enough. So if you're tempted to do your best, you won't be welcomed into heaven because knowing God's rules just makes it worse. You can't keep them. Now, some believers really identify with this struggle too. And what they see in here, reading on, is their pattern of defeat. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Verse 4, In order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, again, this talks about unbelievers who are failing to please God, but some believers truly identify with this struggle as well. They were attempting, after they were saved by faith, to behave their way into God's favor, and then they fell into a pattern of sin. Galatians talks about this as those who are starting by faith, but then moving on to works. And it's a pattern for defeat. Listen, maybe this is you. Maybe you're stuck in a pattern of failure, even though you've been in church your whole life, and you don't know how to move forward with God. Well, listen, if, if you have moved from like faith to rule-keeping, you're going to constantly be defeated in life. If all of your attention and effort spiritually, is going to avoiding sin, following the rules, and then flaunting your effort, you're going to constantly fail. You'll fail. You must focus instead on walking in the Spirit. It's going to be love for God that transforms you, not, your, not law of God. And question, is your obedience really an expression just of fear and pride? When you do your devotions, when you show up to church, when you go to small group, is that really just an expression of your fear of God and your pride for performing enough to please Him? Or does that just show your love for Him? I'm going to church. I'm going to small group. I'm reading my Bible because I love Him. Which is it? If you're trying to move forward in the flesh, you will constantly fail. But if you're moving forward in the Spirit, then you will have the fruit of obedience. Number one, so now there is no condemnation because Jesus died and rose again and because God's Spirit dwells within me. Once I was condemned, enslaved, and the law made things worse. Number three, jot this down, but God, but God. So now things have changed. And look back at verse three, what's changed? It says, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do. How? By sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemned sin 
in the flesh. Now, what does all that mean? Well, first of all, jot down the obvious. He sent his only son. He sent his only son. Who is Jesus? The sinless son of God. Nothing less. Who is Jesus? Paul writes in the book of Colossians, such a marvelous uh, couple of verses about who Jesus is. He is the image of the invisible God. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. It says, and he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. It says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Is that who you say he is? That in him all the fullness of God dwells bodily. That's who he is. That's who he is. He, God sent his only son. And because he was God, he could represent God to you. He can mediate. Well, what did he do when he came? What did he do? He said he sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh. Now that's confusing, but understand that the word sending here points more to Good Friday than Christmas. So Christmas, God sent his son down, right? This is more talking about God sending his son to the cross. He sent him, and then it says here, in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. Now, what does this mean? I think 2 Corinthians 5.21, same author, clarifies what this means. It says this, For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Notice how it says that God made him to be sin, but he knew no sin. So don't interpret this to mean Jesus became a sinner. The Bible is clear that Jesus knew no sin. He never sinned. But he became sin in this sense. He took the sins of the world on himself, and he took the place of sinful people. He was also subject to the schemes of sinful men. So in that, Christ became bound up in a sinful world. He took the penalty, the guilt, the shame for sinful people, and he took the verdict of sinful leaders. That's what it means for him to become sin. That's what it means when it says here that he became sin, right? So it says here that he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us. So God sent his only son to take our place as sinners and to, to condemn sin in the flesh. I love what this tells us, what this tells us happened on the cross. What happened on the cross is God beat sin through sin. God beat death through death. God beat Satan through Satan. He beat them through their own efforts, which makes it even more powerful and even more beautiful. I'm a fan of the Lord of the Rings. Any Lord of the Rings fans out there? But have you read the books? Don't raise your hand if you just watch the movies. <laughs> I'm reading the books now again. And I'm in The Return of the King. And I'm at the part where Aragorn takes an army of the dead along the south to defeat uh, Sauron's southern army. This isn't in the movie. But there he takes the army of the dead and defeats the southern army that was supposed to come up on the ships. And instead, he comes up on the ships. But what's really cool is one of the characters in the books reflects on how Aragorn leads out an army of darkness, an army of death to overthrow Sauron's dark army. And listen to what this character says. 
He says this, Strange and wonderful, I thought it was, that the designs of Mordor should be overthrown by such wraiths of fear and darkness. Listen, with its own weapons, was it worsted? That's awesome. With its own weapons, was it worsted? And this is true of our greatest enemies with their own weapons, were they worsted? At the cross, God used sin and darkness and death to defeat sin and darkness of death. He used their own weapons against them. Isn't that glorious? And there we see that Jesus was sent to the cross to defeat our greatest enemies. So God sent his only son, and jot this down, who fulfilled the law. It says here, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Verse 4. Now that first means that the law requires punishment and penalty, condemnation. Christ paid that. Therefore, the requirement of the law being punished has been fulfilled at the cross. So Jesus paid our penalty, but that's not all that it means. It means that it broke the power and the authority of sin and the law by fulfilling its demands. And it means that the Holy Spirit comes inside of us, enabling us to obey. So Jesus paid the penalty, broke the power, and filled us with the Spirit so that we can fulfill the demands of God on our lives. That's the full circle of what God wanted to happen. He fulfilled the law. How can I be acceptable before a holy God when I stand before him? Jesus must die for you, rise again. He must pay your penalty, break the power of sin, and fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's how. God sent his only son who fulfilled the law and jot this down and condemned sin and death. Condemned sin and death. It says here in verse 3, in the likeness of sinful flesh and first sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Here's a picture of the cross. What is it that God accomplished at the cross? Well, what did Jesus say when he was there? What were, what were his final words? It is finished. It's finished. And for the unbeliever, you have to approach the cross and say, I can't do it. Jesus did it. That's how you get security. That's how you get salvation. And for the Christian, you have to approach the cross and say, it's not by my power that I'm going to obey. My victory is going to come through the power of Christ and his Holy Spirit. The whole point of this sermon is this. You can live with security, eternal security, and you can walk in victory, lasting victory, only because of what Christ did for you at the cross. You have to abandon the do-it-yourself plan. You can't. Only he can. Only he can. Keeping the law, following God's rules, that's a road to the grave. Walking by the Spirit in freedom, out of love for God, that's the eternal path to life. And it all begins at the cross. Hey, I'd love for you to enjoy the truth, whether you're a Christian or not. <laughs> there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'd love for you to walk in security, knowing that you are great with God regardless of your past. I'd I want this for you. I'd love for you to walk in victory knowing that it doesn't matter what you've done. God can give you freedom and strength today. Whatever you need from Christ, I'd love to give you a chance right now to go to the Lord in prayer. Let's talk to God about what we just heard together. Let's pray. Jesus, what awesome truths you just gave us. That you came, you lived, you died, you rose to secure our freedom. Jesus, I just give people a chance right now to cry out to you saying, 
Father, forgive me for my guilt and my shame and my fear and my doubt. Forgive me and set me free. Lord, I ask that people right now in their own hearts would be saying that. Set me free. Lord, I pray for those who are already saved and who just are wrestling in a pattern of failure because they're trying to do their best they're not doing it out of love for you. They're doing it out of fear. They're doing it out of pride. They're doing it to be rule keepers. And they're performing for others, and that's not a recipe for victory. I pray that they would just throw up their hands and say, Jesus, help me to love you this week. Help me to love others this week. Help me not to fall back into a pattern of defeat. Help me to walk in freedom because your spirit is in Father, I just pray that as you fill us with your love and your mercy and your strength, as we live with clear convictions about who we believe Jesus is, show the world that we're born again. Show the world that we are heaven-bound. And even in our failures, you welcome us back. You set us on the right track. You give us life. Thank you, Jesus, for this glorious gift. We give you all praise and honor.